Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. All right, Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter 12. Um, Let's look together, if you would please, in this passage of Scripture. Verse number 28, Mark chapter 12, verse number 28. And the Bible says this, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them, well asked him, what is the first commandment of all? And when they're asking this first commandment, what he's asking is, what is the greatest commandment? What's the first? The first being the best commandment, the greatest commandment. What is that? What would Jesus, what would you say is the best commandment, the first that we ought to consider? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he gets into this in verse number 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Jesus doesn't stop, though. <laughs> they ask for what's the first commandment. Jesus goes the second mile. He says, and, and I want to give you the second one as well. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Jesus is teaching the Sadducees and speaking to them as he's teaching the people. The Sadducees begin to ask him these questions. It starts with, in in chapter number 12, it starts with the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection, so they try to trick Jesus, and they use this example of this man has a a wife, and they don't have children, and he dies, and so the the law says that the, the next the next. Uh, brother has to marry uh, that wife, and if he doesn't have children, and and he went on, and there's seven brothers that that uh, uh, all none of them had children, and the the wife just kept getting passed down the brother, the brother, the brother, the brother. I'm so glad that's not the law today. Boy, if you met my sister-in-law, you'd know why I thought that. <laughs> Amen. And I hope she's not watching today. But, but they're trying to trick Jesus, and they use the most, most craziest story to try to trick Jesus. So there's these seven brothers that all have had the same wife. When they get to heaven, which one is she going to be married to? And Jesus is, they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to get to stump him. And Jesus takes the time and he addresses them. And then, then one that hears his answer says to Jesus says, well, what's the greatest commandment described? They're wanting to disprove Jesus. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? They're not really looking for the answer. They're just trying to cause problems. And you can tell by the way they're asking. 
And that's what Jesus said. He's not going to get into this trap, but yet he's God, so he, he, he knows their heart, he knows their motive, but he's going to teach us things as he's, as he's dealing with these that are just trying to trap him. He's going to teach us some things. They want to catch him in something that he is saying so they can use it against him, but Jesus being so wise, he says things for our benefit. They ask Jesus this question, what's the first commandment or what's the greatest commandment? Jesus gives us the first commandment, and also he tells us this second commandment. What is the greatest of these? And he says this, first, love God. And he says, second, love people. Now, I heard that statement made one time, love, love God and love people. That's what Christians will do. And I'll be honest with you, I thought, that sounds so soft. Like, that just sounds so soft. And he, I think something more like fight for Jesus sounds so much better, doesn't it? You know, stand for Christ. And, and, and I hear that, and then, and then the Lord convicted me of it. Well, this is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus. When he's asked this question, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, love God and love others. The greatest thing that he... The commandment, that is what I'm asking you to do. How you can fulfill the law, love God and love others. You know, we live in a complicated world. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but we live in a complicated world. We live in a stress-filled world. Matter of fact, the stress level of our world is getting greater and greater to the place that more and more people are dealing with anxiety and, and stresses than they've ever dealt with before. At a younger age, children, teenagers are dealing with this, this complicated world we're living in, trying to make sense out of it. We're busier than we've ever been. We're running everywhere. How many of you felt this last week you were busier than you've ever been? Anybody like that? few of you. The rest of you fall asleep. This message will not be for you today. Have you ever had a week that just flew by? You're, you're running here and there. It seems like it's nonstop, but you felt like you didn't get anything done. Have you ever had one of those weeks? You, you, you didn't have any more time in your week. And at the end of the week, you were so busy nonstop that if you really evaluated it, you didn't spend time with the Lord as much as you should have or wanted to. And you didn't spend time with the people that God has placed in your life like you wanted to. At times that happens with me and I think to myself, what am I so busy doing? Life is complicated. Life can just spiral sometimes. We can feel spiritually depleted. We can feel disconnected from our family. We can feel disconnected from friends. There are some even here today in a room full of people like this size of people, you're sitting here and you're feeling like the loneliest person in the world. And you say you're, and, and someone might say, how do you feel lonely with this many people? Because you feel alone and disconnected. I hear it said so often, I feel like God's not listening. I feel like I'm just disconnected from God. I just feel my life is out of control. It's 
called this at times a rat race. Have you ever heard that term used? It's busier and busier and busier. And the busier you are, the busier you get. But Jesus comes and says, these are the two things that are top priority. And for my own life, and I want to share with this today with you from this passage of Scripture, because I want us to really evaluate this in our own personal lives. I want us to evaluate this as a church. I want us to evaluate this as children of God. What are the two most important things that you should be doing in life? Loving God and loving others. The Christian, if you're a child of God, if you're born again, the commandment that Jesus said is the most important, the first and the second is to love God and to love others. And I'll be honest with you, at times I have to ask my, myself this question, am I doing this? Am I so busy in life that these two most important things are the things I do least? Are these things the things that my number one passion, my number one joy, the thing that I strive to do, is it to love God and love others? Look what Jesus says of the, of the ones that are asking him this question. Jesus is asked by the scribes, and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to consider this, the two greatest commandments is loving God and loving your neighbor, but I want you to see how he describes the scribes uh, that are asking him this question. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse number 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes. Now, who's asking this? Look at me in verse number 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them, asked Jesus this question. And he says to them, this is what I want you to be aware of, those that are listening, these scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. What are you saying? They love to be seen. Their entire life, now they put this outward appearance, they're asking these really, you know, spiritual questions of Jesus, but in reality, what's going on is this, they love themselves, they're not living a life that because they love God, they're not living a life because they love others. Look what they're doing. They love themselves. They love salutations in the marketplace. What does that mean? They love being seen. They love being noticed. They want people to think they're important. They sit in the chief seats in the synagogues, in the upper rooms of feasts. They, they devour widows' houses. They don't care about people. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They're not praying to God. They're not praying because they love God. They're praying so that you'll be impressed with what they're saying. The whole look of these people is this. Look at me. Life is all about the scribe. All of their decisions are about them. It's about exalting them. It has nothing to do with God and it has nothing to do with their neighbor because they devour the ones that need them the most. They don't care about the widow. 
They're not caring about the one in need. They're not offering their place to chief seats in the synagogues. They're not saying, hey, come sit here. Let us minister to you. You're coming into the synagogue and we want you to be fed. So we're going to put you in the place where you could be comforted so that you can hear the teaching. No, they sit in the prominent places. When feast time comes, they sit in a place that the feast comes past them first. Who cares about everyone else? See, Jesus is describing how these scribes are. Everything in life is about them. And then, and then he looks at this, this contrast. He gives us an illustration of a, a, a person totally different than a scribe. And we see it in this passage of Scripture as well. He uses a widow. Look with me, if you would please, in verse number 41, and Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow. She threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast in the treasury. For all they did cast in their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. He gives us this contrast. He says this, the scribes say, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love God and love people. And I'm going to show you an illustration of what the opposite looks like and then what that would look like. He says, the scribes, beware of them because they love themselves. It's not about God and it's not about people. But then you have this widow, she gave, she comes in, and she only has these two mites, but she loves God. And she gives God all that she has. Now, what were they to do with that offering? You know what they did with that offering? It was to help the needy. And I thought about this. Here is a widow that all she had was these two mites. She gave everything she had. Jesus says that she's poor. He's looking at her. She's poor. He describes her as poor. She's a widow. She doesn't have an, a, a way to, for more income to come in. She doesn't have a husband at that time that could care for her and supply for her. So all she had was those two mites, and she's going to put them in that offering because she loves God, and they're going to use that offering to minister to the poor. <laughs> and she's the poor. But she's looking at it as an opportunity to love her neighbor. She's looking at it as an opportunity to love God and love someone that has a great need. She gave to the Lord. Would you write this someplace in your heart? This widow gave to the Lord and she sacrificed so others could have as well. How can we recalibrate our lives? Have you ever had something that needed to be recalibrated? Every so often I'll turn on my remote and, and my remote won't work and you have to recalibrate it. You have to push a button Make sure, you know, you know, go through all of that stuff. I don't even have cable and I got to recalibrate my remote. I'm just trying to watch free TV. You have to recalibrate it. 
the most frustrating thing is when I pick up that remote, I just want to watch Gunsmoke. I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch the TV recalibrate. I don't have time for that. Who has time for that? But recalibrating ensures that something is working properly. Today, today, church, as we come together on this fifth Sunday, I want us to recalibrate our lives. Recalibrating our lives entails this, changing our thinking. Because changing our thinking then changes our behavior. If you want your behavior to change, you have to change the way you think. Because how you behave comes from how you think. The scribes, their behavior was coming by the way they thought, yet this, this, widow's, this widow, this poor widow lady, her behavior that we saw was also coming by the way they think. And the way they thought were totally drastically different. Jesus says the most important thing you can do is love the Lord and love your neighbor. We see the scribe loves themselves, but we see this widow that loves God and loves others. And first thing I want you to write this down, real simple here today. Would you write this down someplace? Loving God. How do we love God? You see, for so many people, how they view God is not a healthy way. There are some people that view God as this mean God that isn't going to bless, that he never gives, that, that he's, just, he's just waiting to punish us as soon as we do something wrong. That's who God is. And then we find some that believe, well, God is like this magic genie that if I just ask him to give me everything I want, then God, he, he, he'll give me everything I want. And, and the reality is this, we can get that. That is some people's theology is God is just mean God looking to judge you, looking to smite you, or God is just there to give you all of your wishes. And the reality is this, God is there because he wants to commune with you. God is, God's desire is to have worship. God's desire is for you to serve him with the gifts that he has blessed you with. God's desire is so that you sacrifice and so that you show love. But God, yes, he does judge sin. Yes, there is going to be a day one day that, we're going to, uh, that the lost are going to stand for God, that God is going to judge sin. And yes, God does answer prayer, but the reality is this. If that's your view of God, you've got a warped view of God. Jesus said this, I want you to love God. Not to be seen by God or accepted by God. We don't love him and serve him so that he accepts us because not, not, not to be noticed, not to be approved. Because we, if you know Jesus Christ and you have trusted him as your savior, you are already accepted by God because of who Jesus Christ is. See, this is the most wonderful thing as a Christian. I don't serve God so that God gives me favor, so God blesses me, so I can have heaven. When God sees me, he sees me as his child. When God sees me, he doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us, uh, for, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, in Galatians 3.26. Now, now that portion of Scripture, he's speaking to Christians. All of us, just because you're born in this world does not make you a child of God. You might be God's creation, but the only way that you become a child of God is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the gospel. But now that you're saved, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says this, you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The most wonderful three words that I find is in Christ Jesus. When I stand before God, I am not going to stand before God as a sinner. I'm going to stand before God in Christ Therefore, today, I'm not trying to please God. I'm not trying to find favor with God. I don't need to try to find favor with God because I am in Christ. Romans 3.24 says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who are far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Listen to me today. We love God, not to try to get him to, uh, to give us something, not to try to impress him, not so that he gives us everlasting life. I am saved. I'm a child of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. So loving God, this is not so that he finds and notices me. We serve God because he loved us and gave his son for us. Our lives are lived in reflection to our love for God. What does loving God mean? What does it mean when we say, church, love God? What does this mean? Can I just give you a couple things that I want you to, to remember, I want you to think about as we recalibrate our lives, as we focus on what is important, what is the most important thing we can do? Love God. You know what? First of all, obedience to his word. Obedience to his word. Christian, if you love him, you'll be obedient to what he says. You say, well, I was looking for some deep theological thing that you would give us the Greek word of. Obey what he says. Why? Because if I don't, he's going to zap me. No, I want to be obedient to what he says is because I love him. And I love him because he gave his son to die for my sins. What greater love is there than that? That a man laid down his life for a friend. We hear that know Jesus Christ and you know what he has saved us from. We ought to love him. How do we do this? By being obedient to his word. What does his word say? And if his word says it, oh, listen to me. We have Christians today that want to pick it apart, that want to, that want to dissect it, that want to say, well, that's, that's, that's not for us today. That's Old Testament. Listen to me. The Bible is complete in all 66 books. This is all God's word. We ought to have a desire to be obedient to him. 
because he loved us. Number one, obedience to his word. Would you write this someplace in your heart as well? By growing in your walk with him. By growing in your walk with him. I'm excited about this upcoming year. This upcoming year, I'll be married 25 years to my beautiful bride. And I'm glad, I'm glad I married her and not my sister-in-law. It's a wonderful thing. And, and so I'm, I'm always thinking, and our kids are getting older, and I am always planning, I'm always doing something to get my wife alone. Now, some of you that have small kids, it's a hard thing to do. The wonderful, most wonderful thing, the most wonderful day in my marriage is when we could leave our kids home by themselves. It opened up a whole new world. Eating out without your kids. Having a conversation without being interrupted. It's a wonderful thing. I loved it. I love growing. You know, after almost 25 years of marriage, you know what I'm still learning? My wife. Still growing. I'm still growing in my relationship with her. I'm still learning things about her. I'm still learning things about how to be a husband. I'm still learning. And I love to get around her. I love to spend time with her. I love just her and me. I'm so glad that 25 years ago we didn't say I do, and she went her way and I went my way. But sometimes Christians say, yes, Lord, I believe. I put my faith and trust in God. And God says, okay, I want you to be this way, and we end up being this way. His desire is for you to have a relationship with him, a walk with him. One of the things every day I get up, one of the things I love to hear from the person I love in this world more than anyone else is, and I love you. Have a great day. Every so often I'll say to her, so what are you doing today? And she'll say, I just, you just asked me that five minutes ago and I told you. And, you know, getting older, you kind of forget. And I'll say, well, tell me again. I just wanted to hear your voice, you know. Would you write this down? How do we love God? By acknowledging he is just and holy and desiring to walk in his presence. You see, when you acknowledge that he's holy and just, then you want to walk in his presence and you realize you can't walk into his presence when you're loaded with sin. Let me say that again. Loving God is acknowledging he is just and holy and having a desire to walk in his presence. And you can't walk in his presence when you are involved in sin. The child of God that loves God keeps short sin accounts. The child of God that loves God recognizes the best thing I can do is spend time with God today, not be filled with this world. The thing that the child of God that loves God and puts God's first in recognizing he's a holy God and a just God says, I'm going to live a life so that I can be in this and in, in walk in fellowship with him. I'm not going to let the things of this world entice me away from a holy God. Would you write this down by allowing him to have full control of your life? 
and not being tangled in this world. How do I love God? By letting him have full control of my life, being spirit-filled. The Bible says, be not drunken with wine, wear in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit. What is he saying? Don't let anything control you outside of the Spirit of God. Don't let anything, don't let your love for anything outweigh your love for God. Don't let anything control you outside of your love for God. Well, we have all kinds of things that we fall in love with, but you know what the reality is? Just like in our marriages, there's not a, there's not a woman that could take you away from your wife. Why? Because you love her. That's the way it ought to be. There's not a man that could take you away from your, whatever that is, I'm all mixed up. A woman, husband, wife would be husband. You know what I mean. You know the thing. Huh? <laughs> Next, would you write this down? By using the gifts that he has given you to bring glory to him. How do I love God? By using the gifts that he has given us to bring glory to him. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. I won't go there. You can go there and you can study through as he's speaking about gifts. See, God has gifted every single one of you that are a child of God. He's given you a gift that he wants you to serve. He's given you a talent and giving you that gift and giving you that talent. He's given you that so that you can bring glory to him. A child of God that has been gifted with a talent that God has blessed you with ought to be using that so God receives glory through your life. There's people that'll say to me sometimes, I'm not sure what God, why I'm even here. You're here because God has a purpose for you. If you start looking inward and start looking at your problems and start looking at that defeat, you might say, I'm not sure why I'm here. But if you keep your eyes upon the Lord and the fact that he saved you and he gifted you and he has placed you here on this earth to do something to bring him glory, you'll see you have purpose in life. I love God. And by loving him, I'm going to use the things that he has given me so that he receives glory. Loving God is not attempting to impress him, but it's simply recognizing his holiness and having a desire to bring him glory. That's what loving him is. And then secondly, church, loving God and loving people. Jesus was speaking and he said this, if there's one that's naked and you clothe them and you do it in my name, you've done it unto me. He said, if there's ones that are thirsty and you give them to drink and you've done it in my name, you've done it unto me. If they're hungry and you've given them bread and, and you've done it in my name, you've done it unto me. What is he saying? If you love people and you love people in my name, it's loving me. Loving people is serving people. I was so convicted. Hong Buer was telling me a story she went back to visit her parents in China. Now, China, the church cannot meet and open like this. It's a, it's a country, it's a communist country where Christians don't have the liberties and freedoms anywhere near we have. They still meet in underground churches, meaning, meaning this, they have to hide. And Hong came and, and her 
brother was dying of, of cancer and she was able to lead him to the Lord. And, and she was able to, her parents, uh, 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 I believe it was her father that uh, trusted Christ as his savior. She was able to give the gospel to her family and, and see them saved this past trip she was there in China. And what a wonderful thing that is. And I was so pleased to hear. I said, wonderful news, your family is saved. She's been praying for this. But the thing that encouraged me even, yes, they got saved. What's the most wonderful thing that could happen? She said this, this underground church, this small church, her parents are elderly and having very much difficult taking care of themselves. She said they started coming to the house and visiting with them, making sure their needs were met, helping them with whether it be cooking or clothing or bathing or whatever their needs are. She said the church came in and started loving her parents and caring for their needs. And I'll be honest with you, church, I thought to myself, you know, sometimes as a church, I think we've gotten so busy with programs. We've gotten so busy with things that we've lost sight of our goal is to love people. There's people right here in this room that are in great need. There's people in this room right now that have great emotional needs. There's people in this room right now that have great spiritual needs. There's people in this room right now that have great physical needs. And Jesus says this, the number one thing you can do is love God. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Serve them with the gifts that God has given you. Live so that Christ can love through you. Not as these scribes that are going through the motions. These scribes are at church, just like this widow's at church. Yet the scribes are at church bringing glory to themselves. They're coming, and oh, they're giving. And they're praying. But none of it is about God, and none of it is about others. And sometimes, church, we can get to the place where we're going through all the motions. We're going through all the things, but we're doing it because it does something for us. And you can tell because the first time conflict comes, or the first time struggles come, or the first time difficulty comes, we're done. But this poor widow... I'll give the last two mites that I have. Because I love God. And there's a poor person that needs a need met. She could have said, I'm that poor person. No, she's saying, God, use this to meet the need in somebody else's life. Hear me, church. We need to recalibrate. We need to get back to life is about loving God and loving people. I took my daughter, we were in Philly this week on this missions trip and I went in for a couple days. The reason why they had me come in, they, they know I know where the good cheesesteak places are. <laughs> but back in the early 80s, my family moved to Philadelphia Kensington, Philadelphia. And I took my daughter, Mackenzie. She'll be a senior this year. 
I took her Wednesday. We were done downtown. I, as we were driving back, it was about a 45-minute drive north to the church that we were at. I said, hey, babe, you want to go see where dad was born, uh, raised? Yeah, it'll be all right. I said, you sure? Yeah. I said, you want to see the church that grandpa was at? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And then as we were driving through Kensington, she was like, what is this place? I said, please don't make eye contact with anybody. She's like, really? I'm like, I'm, no, I'm being really serious. Please don't make eye contact. And then she's going through the whole thing looking at the corner of her eyes. I took her to what's called Zombie Town. Look at it, YouTube it. Kensington, Philadelphia. She's never seen anything like this. Just packed with homeless people, like zombies. We're driving down the street, I mean, in the middle of the day, and she's watching people shoot up, watching people shoot each other up. She says, is that allowed? I said, you're not supposed to be looking. Keep your eyes straight. And as I was taking her through these neighborhoods, all the neighborhoods, and in my mind, I'm going back to when I was a kid growing up, and now I'm looking at what is going on in this place. She said, Dad, this is, this is causing me too much anxiety. We need to get out of here. She was serious. She couldn't comprehend what was going on. She couldn't comprehend what her eyes were seeing. And I'm watching people literally dying before our eyes. And I thought to myself, you know, at one time they were a newborn baby in someone's arm and they were just all the world in front of them. Now their arms are wrapped in gauze pads because every vein is collapsed and now they're shooting a drug into their neck. Right in broad daylight. In church, I thought to myself, somebody has to love them. Somebody has to love them. Jesus does. It's easy to love the people that love us, and it's easy to love the people that are like us. But Jesus didn't just call us to love people like us. He called us to love a world that is different. My wife and I, one of the greatest joys that we've had over the last couple of months is when a family in our church that has foster children asked us to help them. So we went down and became, I think they're called respite parents maybe. You can help out a foster parent. So we're able to watch these 
beautiful, beautiful babies. So we watched them and we had to take them down, downtown to visit their biological parents. And my heart broke. I've never had to deal with this. I thought to myself, here's a little two-year-old being passed to one person, being passed to another person, being passed to another person, being passed to another person. How does she understand? But I'm so glad, I'm so glad that there's a family or a church that opened up their home in, in, in changing diapers of people that aren't their children and wiping dirty noses of kids that aren't their biological children and taking them and caring for them like they are their own because they're called to love people. And dealing with people and loving people can get so messy and can get so dirty, but church, that is what we are called to do. We're not called to be a, 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 a country club where everybody has everything in life and we... We've got what we need. No, we're called to take the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs Jesus. It's loving people. It's just like Jesus on the cross. He was spit upon. He was beaten. He was made fun of. He was mocked. His beard was plucked. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails. I mean, the Bible says that he, he was there. We see pictures of this, but I, I don't believe that, that pictures do justice what he truly looked like as he was hanging on that cross. He was not even identifiable as a man. Bleeding. Beaten ready to take every dirty, vile sin that mankind has ever done upon himself. Saying, God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? But he looks at those that put him on that cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did he say? What was he doing? He was loving his father by going to the cross and he was loving others by offering them salvation that can only come through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What are we so busy doing, church, that loving God is not our priority? And what are we so busy doing, church, that loving others takes too much of our time? Four years ago, a family in our church, the dad came home from working the night shift as a state trooper, put his gun up on a dresser, Mother's Day morning, his four-year-old, while the family was getting ready to come to church, got a hold of that gun and shot himself. I, I've, I've never... The thought of seeing that little boy in that, that 
the hospital bed and when his parents on that bed pleading for God to save their son. I, I can't get that out of my mind. But a church came together that week. We put out, a, put out a, an email and said, church, we, we don't know what to do. What do you do in a situation like that? You can't say anything. You can't do anything. Let's just come together and pray in the church. Remember that if you were here, the church came together on that Tuesday night and prayed. Just came together in this room. People all over just praying for God to bless this family. Do something. About 20 or so minutes into that prayer time, the Sun family actually came in. I, I didn't expect them to come, but they got an email that the church was coming to pray. And they said they were coming to pray for us. Why wouldn't we come? <laughs> oh. And, and Frankie's mom, who doesn't speak English, only speaks Chinese, came from, came from China, only, only can speak Chinese, couldn't hear what was being said, couldn't. But she said this throughout this process. I don't know what they're saying, but I can tell they love. In, in some time after, just not, 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 not very long after, Frankie came to me and said, Pastor, we're not going to be in, in church this weekend. I said, where are you going to go? He said, we're going to go to the Chinese church. And I said, why, why, what, what's going on there? He said, my mom's going to be baptized. I said, your mom's going to be baptized. He said, my mom got saved. I said, she got saved? He said, yeah. She didn't know what was going on because she couldn't understand, but she saw the way that people loved our family through the most difficult time we've ever been through. And she said, I want what you have. So he took her to the Chinese church, to the Chinese pastor that could give her the gospel in Chinese so she could understand. And she trusted Jesus Christ as her savior. And she was gloriously saved because a church loved God and loved people the impact that we ought to be making in this world is not just buildings, is not just fame, is not just programs. The impact that we must make as a church in this world is this, that place loves God, and that is the place that people love people. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org, and we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.